Hello friends and welcome. I am glad you're here today. We are going to talk all about some practical strategies on structuring your environment to really help you create an environment that's going to support your weight loss goal or your new healthy habits goal um, and get you the results that you're looking for quicker and quicker. How we structure our environment uh, really can make the whole process of change easier, more smooth, uh, especially if you're just kind of starting out on this journey. Most of you listening are here wanting to drop some pounds and um, and or wanting to change your relationship with food, the relationship with your body, those sorts of things. And we all know we want to do it in a very new and different way that is sustainable. It's about creating a way of eating that is a lifestyle and not a diet. We want a lifestyle that creates health benefits, weight loss, and can help bring peace around our food relationship. And starting to implement new behaviors with food to create this new long-lasting lifestyle that we want has some hurdles for many of us. And there is a lot of trial and error to figure out how it might best serve you and your unique personal goals and your unique personal life and circumstances and body and just how best to make it work for you in the easiest way possible. I do find that most people I work with, and this has been my own personal journey as well, when they write out the goals that they have and that they they give me and what they're kind of shooting for, what they're going for, almost always on that list, there is something to do with wanting successful, long-lasting weight loss, like being able to just live in maintenance, feeling free, right? And or healing issues around disordered eating patterns. So many of us struggle, many of us struggle with this relationship with food and with our bodies. And just a reminder here that you are not alone in this journey. Keep listening and we're going to get into details on what to do with your environment in order to make this change so much easier. Welcome to Weight Loss and Wellness for Real, the podcast where people like you get the practical solutions and support you need to permanently lose the physical and mental weight so you can feel better and live the life you want in the body and mind you want. If you're looking to overcome your stress eating, overeating, binging behaviors, and move to a place of freedom with food and your body, you're in the right place. Just a reminder that this podcast represents my own opinions. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your doctor or healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. Did you know you can find a lot more help from me on my website? Go to heatherheinen.com. Heinen is spelled H-E-Y-N-E-N and get in touch with questions on all things I offer like online courses for overeating, weight loss, goal attainment, and also my coaching and counseling services. So I want to get into a little bit of a background on stimulus control just so you sort of understand 
how the brain works with our environment, how um, the brain interprets our environment and then creates um, thoughts, feelings, behaviors within us as humans. So understanding stimulus, stimulus control is uh, a key in losing weight and keeping it off for good as well as creating healthier relationships with food, that, that new lifestyle that we are really looking for. And stimulus control is just that fancy word for controlling your environment. So controlling and taking away triggers that spur us on to have specific thoughts, feelings that then trigger overeating behavior. Our environment contains specific, unique triggers for each of us. They're all going to be different for each of us. So setting our environments up in specific ways that are helpful to each of us as individuals can make or break us in ways of our eating behaviors, right? How we're going to behave around food. And our environment is everything from what we see to what we hear, to what we smell, to what we taste. It's also how our surroundings are organized in regards to our senses. And so here's a little example that um, that if that just kind of will give you an idea of how our surroundings can really influence our mood, our state of being. So if you're someone who deals with anxious symptoms, maybe some, you know, been even diagnosed with anxiety, that sort of thing, but maybe just some very anxious symptoms, a lot of ruminating thoughts, overthinking, always in your head, those sorts of things. Did you know that if your surroundings are messy, chaotic, or you perceive that there is too much stuff, your anxious symptoms will increase. And this includes your bodily anxious symptoms. So including your resting heart rate, your blood pressure will go up, and then you will also have more ruminating thoughts. And often through this, a desire to eat, even when you're not hungry, because remember when we eat, our parasympathetic system is turned on momentarily to start the digestive process and our parasympathetic system brings on a feeling of relaxation. So, you know, we don't always, we're not always conscious that we're eating to turn on the parasympathetic system so that we can momentarily feel relaxed and calm, but that's what we're doing. So if you have a tendency towards anxiety and worry and you want to feel less of that, get rid of any extra stuff in your home. Clear um, clear the counters, get rid of knickknacks, clear the clutter. This is really not about being clean. It's more about getting visual stimuli out of the way to reduce the anxious thoughts and feelings and sensations playing in the background of the brain. So really, um, you know, a goal here might be become a minim- minimalist, you know, and watch your anxious symptoms greatly reduce. And If you're an emotional eater, the frequency of your emotional eating will go down in a very pared down environment. And and this is just one example of how our environment influences our behaviors. And I can't not mention epigenetics when talking about environment and how it influences us, us as humans. Just a brief synopsis of epigenetics. It's the study of how our behaviors and our environment can cause changes that affect the way our genes work. So to get a little bit more sciencey here, because I just love this stuff so much, stay with me. Um, we will get to the practical stuff here in a minute, but it's 
Epigenetics how our cells control gene activity without changing our DNA sequence. So there are many types of epigenetic processes, including things like methylation and a few other big words. There's more compelling research at this point that is linking epigenetic processes with about half of known cancers. We also know that some epigenetic changes can endure for four plus generations, meaning what we eat, how we respond to stress, trauma we've experienced that can affect our gene expression is passed down to future generations. And um, if you want to get to know how mental health may be affected by epigenetics, because this is just personally one of my fascinations as a mental health therapist, I'd recommend checking out uh, Patronus uh, at the Crimble Family Epigenetics Laboratory at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto. Um, That's just such a cool lab coming up with all this new information. So lots of good info coming from that lab. So understanding epigenetics is at work here also helps us understand how our environment and our reaction to our environment actually begins to change our gene expression. And this is really important for our physical health as well as our mental and emotional health. And to me, it's also incredibly amazing and hopeful because it means that we have a lot more control over our health, our gene expression, our habit behaviors, our bodies, and our minds. If, if, we, have, if we have a line of physical disease or mental health issues within our family line, Epigenetics, the study, it's, it's telling us we are not destined for any of this. We have a lot of possible control, not for everything, granted, but for many, many things. So we know that epigenetic marks are, are sensitive to environment exposure, and this can and is in the form of nutrients, so what we eat, toxins, pollutants, pesticides, and other environmental factors. And this in turn results in transformed gene expression patterns and so affect our health and behaviors for better or worse. And this would obviously point to eating whole, real, nourishing foods, but that's not, we're not going there. That's not today's topic. Anyway, let's get back to how the environment influences our behaviors and specifically our behavior of overeating or being cued to eat, eat, which when we are learning to build our new behaviors and lifestyle with food, we, we really want to optimize this. If I can set up my environment so that my new healthier habits that I'm trying to implement feel easier and I have less eating triggers, getting to that new easygoing lifestyle with food that feels effortless is going to come so much quicker. From the earliest times, we have needed to be sensitive to our surroundings to survive, which means we have a very innate awareness of our environment that really goes on subconscious, unconscious level. Um, And sometimes consciously too, but often this is really playing in the background. And we do tend to seek out environments with certain qualities. So whether you know you're doing it or not. So for most humans, these qualities would be anything around safety and security and familiarity. Our brains want us, you know, the very primary goal of the brain is to survive. So safety and security is number one. And the brain perceives safety and security as the familiar. Anything that is familiar is safe to the brain. Now, something to consider here. If you grew up in a lot of chaos, either physically, mentally, or emotionally, or you've had, you know, a pretty intense relationship later on in life um, that went on for a while, 
And if you have not done the work to move through these things, you will actually continue to gravitate to the same thing. So you might ask, but why? You know, those relationships, they were not safe and secure. But to your brain, it is because it's familiar and it's comfortable. The brain doesn't seek out what's healthy on its own. That takes your input to do that. The brain seeks out familiarity and it does this because the brain is always trying to conserve energy. It is its number one job to keep you safe, to conserve energy. So it runs to the familiar so that it doesn't need to create new connections in the brain, which take a lot of energy. This is why habits can be so difficult to break, right? The brain just wants the familiar, familiar, familiar. I'm conserving energy here. It's really important to stay in the familiar, stay in the familiar, stay in the rut. Um, and so when you try to hop out of that rut, it's, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of repetition. Um, so the brain is always looking for the familiar. So even in an environment that is unhealthy for us, if it is a pattern, and I'm, I'm talking about my example here in relationships, if it's a pattern of familiarity, which feels more comfortable, we are going to seek it out kind of behind our own backs, right? We, we look for physical comfort, you know, think, think of the immediate feelings you get when you eat the thing you love. And we also look for psychological comfort. I'm feeling huge, anxious feelings, or I'm feeling depressed. Let me eat to momentarily stop that feeling. Think, think of someone with relationship issues with, with their parents. Maybe they were abandoned either physically or maybe even emotionally by a parent or a caretaker when they were young. If we don't have insight or awareness into this and don't work to heal these wounds, many of us are going to gravitate to choosing a partner who does the exact same thing to us, treats us the exact same way, abandons us when the going gets tough or abandons us in, an, in their emotional responses, right? This is the same with our food relationship. Our environment shapes our choices and our behavior around food. Um, as the brain tries to keep us in the familiar with that food relationship, we really need to utilize the environment to start to shift that because we want all things kind of helping us out. So think about how restaurants and hotels, or even the better one is casinos. So think about Las Vegas here. Think about these how casinos are designed on purpose, how, how they are actually designed and created to shape our behavior. So casinos are designed with not much lighting. They kind of create this really intense mood lighting, and they make it really difficult to find an exit, right? And because of that, we don't want to put a lot of effort there. So we just keep gambling. Or imagine right inside your back door. If it's messy, coats everywhere on the floor, scattered shoes, it really invites everyone else in the family or people who show up to your front door or back door, <laughs> want to come visit you, um, to not hang up their coats and to leave their shoes wherever versus if all coats are hung up, shoes are nicely set together, it influences others' behavior to do the same. Our environment also influences our moods. The, the paint colors in rooms we know influence our, our moods. We, we have so, much, so many research studies out there showing us that, for example, blue rooms bring a mood of calm, while yellow rooms can make us more agitated in our mood. Lots of other studies showing how a hospital room is designed, is colored, is set up, can really influence whether a patient improves or not. Okay, so now I'm just hope I'm hoping I've convinced you how strongly our environment can affect 
whether we have ease within our ability to shift our eating patterns or not. So let's talk practical strategies. What can you do in your own environment to set yourself up for success while building your healthier eating muscle? Number one, know your trigger foods. By the way, number one, but none of these are in order of importance. So anyway, know your trigger foods. Make make a list of foods or drink that trigger more eating or cravings and just be so honest with your, with yourself. For this work, honesty is imperative. So here's a personal example, being totally honest. I adore milk chocolate. If I could eat this all day long with real peanut butter, I would. If it's in my house, it is about impossible for me not to eat it all. I've, I've tried to have just a little piece off a chocolate bar each day, but every time it just calls to me from high up in the pantry or the shelf in the garage where I put it, thinking that is far enough away so I won't go get it. Actually, this works with some things, by the way, but not with milk chocolate or peanut butter. I just end up eating the whole thing. I have done thought work around this. I have tried to experiment and get to where I can have just a little every day without craving more. And just at this point in time in my life, it just doesn't work for whatever reason. So I no longer keep chocolate in my house. It would be nice someday that I can keep chocolate in my house and eat it like a normal person. But at this point in my life, for whatever reason, it is too strong of a trigger for me. And I know this. So it's out. It's out of my house. Now, this does not mean I don't eat chocolate. I do. But if I want it, I have to get in my car and go get it. And this does happen sometimes. But now I eat it much less often than I would if it was in my house. And this is actually me. I want you to really hear this part. This is the thought work piece around it. This is actually me being really, really kind to myself. This is not about saying, Heather, you have no willpower. You should be ashamed of yourself. You eat all that chocolate when it's around. You don't have enough self-control. It's actually quite the opposite. I think of me making these environmental guidelines for myself as being a really good parent to me or a really best friend to myself. I see it as really compassionate. I still allow myself to have chocolate if I really, really want it. But you know that, that really good, kind, caring, loving parent in me knows that if I have it all the time and easy access, I will have consequences that I really don't want, like not sleeping well and decreased health markers, not to mention lowered energy. I love and care about myself and want to set myself up for success. I don't knowingly set myself up for failure. That's just mean and cruel, and I don't do that to myself anymore. So know yourself, know how to give yourself a fighting chance to stay in your new, healthier eating patterns. Now, if you live with people who bring triggers into the home, you have some options. You can have a conversation with them asking, you know, how would they feel about keeping these things out of our house for a while? Or asking if they do bring your trigger foods into the house, if they'd be willing to put them, you know, out of the way in a bottom cupboard just, just for them or a drawer in the fridge just for them. And this doesn't have to be forever. As you get stronger in your habits, as your brain learns to get familiar with them, it will get easier and you'll find you don't get triggered by those same foods in the same way. So if, if another example at work, if you have a break room or a lunch room and that always has triggering foods for you out on display, stay out of that space for now. You know, I used to work at an elementary school and I would literally walk an extra hallway to stay out of the teacher's lounge where there was constant, highly palatable food that when I saw it, I would want it and then I'd feel crabby. 
if I didn't get to eat it, but if I did eat it, I'd feel awful. It was literally a no-win situation. So I changed my environment by not going in there. So I just simply wasn't triggered. Keep another one. Keep healthy foods you enjoy up front and center of your fridge and your pantry, your cupboards. Some people say put healthy food out on your counters, but I would recommend not doing that. Food, even healthy whole food, can trigger a response to want to eat when you're not hungry. So just keep it out of visual sight altogether. But do put the healthier choices that you enjoy in the front of the fridge and pantry. You know, making it easy and accessible. The biggest ones I've learned for me um, and many of my clients that we think don't trigger us in any way, but actually do, something like that opened half filled bottle of wine on the counter for last night that maybe tonight I really didn't want or need to have, but because it's sitting there, it triggers me to want and over desire that. The other one is that we think of that benign fruit bowl sitting out on the counter. Again, it's sort of like you see that food and maybe you're not even hungry, but you'll grab something just because it's there and start eat. It's just too easy to grab these things when we're not even hungry. Uh, this one is always a little controversial, but it was important for me. And I know, you know, this is in of one here, but I know it's also been helpful for some of my clients. And really, until you are rocking and rolling in your new food lifestyle where you've been doing it for a while and most days feel pretty effortless, I would really suggest not watching food shows. I haven't seen any research on this, but I'm guessing just watching food shows can trigger that you know, the insulin, insulin response, raise insulin a bit, but whether you can, you can, um, whether that can happen or not, like I said, that's just my guess. Watching food shows while you are leaning into your new way of eating can trigger hunger and over desire for food. So just stay away from them for a bit at first. Next one, keep your kitchen cleaned up. A messy kitchen feels overwhelming and will actually influence your behavior to not take the time to make a healthy meal. You'll find yourself tempted to grab something quick and easy and less healthy and satiating. <laughs> and that clean kitchen environment will promote more of a motivation, a willingness to maybe stay home and prepare something more nourishing and satisfying. And then evaluate your eating rituals. And I'm going to do a more in-depth discussion on this um, in future weeks where we look at how eating rituals can be deconstructed to help us stop overeating and to find food peace. But for right now, just take a look. Be the observer. Do you always eat in front of the TV? Do you always go to one familiar fast food spot after a busy day at work? Look at your rituals and write them down. See if you can come up with some solutions to start to shift them. If you always snack on popcorn in front of the TV, so here the TV would be the stimulus, you could try for one night a week to eat the popcorn at the table with no TV on. Or could you spend 30 minutes watching TV without eating popcorn? These are small ways to shift your environment to work for you. One other one along these lines, if you always eat in front of the TV in the same spot, like your favorite spot on the couch or your favorite chair, just try sitting somewhere different. You might find just changing that part of your environment creates less of a need to eat, less of that over-desire for food. Okay, so we've discussed how our environment motivates our behaviors in different ways. It can influence our mood, which also motivates behavior in different ways, and can create thoughts I want to drink that wine that's sitting on the counter. 
right? The environment created that thought, which leads to feelings of over-desire, which leads to behaviors of overeating and over-drinking. We know that structuring our environments in specific ways can really help us find more peace around food, as well as help us along as we build our new healthy eating behavior muscle. And once you get your environment under control, you are going to find that eating behaviors and creating a new food lifestyle becomes so much easier. So take one of those ideas and give it a try this week. Thank you for listening and sharing this space with me. I'd really appreciate it if you'd be willing to head over to my website and sign up for my monthly newsletter. It's free. It's usually pretty short and just has all things well-being as well as anything I'm reading, listening to, pondering that I just really enjoy sharing with other people um, and may be useful and valuable to you and your journey in this life as well. As always, thank you for being here and sharing this space with me and we will talk soon.